Everyone, welcome to Parallel Church. Hope you guys are all having a great summer. Man, we've been really enjoying this, this weather lately and hope you're enjoying your family and getting time away and time with each other. Uh, welcome to all of you joining us today in Lethbridge, Pastor Ralph and Cindy. Welcome to all of you. Welcome to our campus in Tabor. Thanks for joining us with Pastor Renee and Jill. Welcome Claris Home with Pastor Brian and Heidi. Welcome Okotoks with Pastor Joel and Tanisha, welcome everyone in joining us in Lloyd Minster with Pastor Mike and Kara, and all of you joining us online with Pastor Tim and Jen. Welcome to all of you wherever you're joining us around the world. A special welcome to you. Today we are. I'm going to be continuing the series. Let's take our job back. I know we're kind of in the summer series on the road again. Our campus pastors have been traveling around and preaching at the different campuses and doing an amazing job. I'm hearing great, great reports. And interspersed with all that, I've been continuing on with the book of Nehemiah and Let's Take Our Job Back and the series that we began a couple months ago, the longest series I've ever done. And I think it's one that is vitally important for this season for such a time as this it is something that I'm just I'm really sensing in my heart is is not just uh, a lesson but is a prophetic kind of look into what the church of the future is going to be like what God wants us to focus on or what God wants us to do that we as Christians are not just in a personal relationship with God, there is that element, but is, Christianity is so much more than just a personal relationship with God. Church is much more than just a weekly gathering together. It is so much more. It's meant to play a much larger role in our society. And we've been learning in this series that meant all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament to what God is saying today, that the church is is so much more than just a, a gathering, just a social club. It is meant to be uh, make an impact for love and impact. Come on, it's make, made to make an impact on our cities in particular. And that prophetically, we see all throughout the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we see John talking about in Revelation, that we as Christians are called to impact cities. We see that in the New Testament, where the church of Ephesus their role was to focus on Ephesus. The you know, Church of Thessalonica, their role was to focus on Thessalonica. They, the church in Colossae, we're supposed to focus on, on their city. And each one, and Paul would go around encouraging them, set up the church, spend one and a half to three years in a community, get that church set up to impact that city, move on to the next city. That was his apostolic call. But that church... Timothy was planted in Ephesus to really impact the city of Ephesus. And we believe as Parallel Church that we're rebuilders of cities, restorers of homes, as it says in the book of Isaiah. And that we're going to be focused on our cities, taking our job back, becoming the hope of the world. And we've been learning how to do that through the book of Nehemiah, uh, because an entire book in the Old Testament focused on Rebuilding a city, and we've been learning the principles that Nehemiah used that, that very successfully to, to rebuild the city. Last time we learned that, that he completed the wall in 52 days. What a miraculous uh, event to be able to accomplish a, a six-mile square building, you know, wall, fortified city with gates and doors installed. All of that in 52 days. And then he appointed Hanani, we learned this last time, that he appointed Hanani uh, to, be, to head up in chapter 7, to head up Jerusalem so that he, Nehemiah could go back and serve uh, the king that had sent him. And we're picking it up today where we left off last time um, in chapter 7, verse 3. 
says this. It says, Then I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be uh, opened until the sun is hot and while they are standing guard. And the reason why he would do that is because the most likely time for the enemies to attack would have been you know, early, early, early morning before people are awake or late at night when people are, are asleep to catch them. On, you know, so Nehemiah very wisely says, hey, let's not open the gates. Let's not make it easier for our enemies until the sun is hot and everyone's alert and the guards are all in place. He says, let them shut and bolt the doors. Also appoint guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each at his post and each in front of his own house. Why in front of their own house? Because they're probably going to defend that area with their family there a whole lot more passionately um, if they're in front of their own house. Then it says in verse 4, Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not built. They built the wall first, and then they began to build their, their homes. And they're, at this point, there's not a lot of people in that city. Verse 5 says, Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the people to be enrolled by genealogies. Then I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up first, in which I found the following record. What I think is so, so interesting here in this, this entire thing is that, um, that Nehemiah, again, focuses on one of the first things he does, he appoints the singers, then he sets the guards in place, and then he has them guard in front of their own homes. And then, you know, the next thing he does is he starts to record genealogies and go back through history and see the genealogies and record genealogies, which today seems very unusual, doesn't it? That I mean, genealogies, what do you care about that? That would be like the last priority. That, why do we care about that? But you have to understand that the Jews... To the Jews, genealogies, the genealogy of the nation of the Jews was as important as knowing your own personal ancestry and knowing your own grandparents, as knowing your own family lineage. Genealogies for the, for, for the Jewish people was of utmost importance. Why? Because of the prophecy that God gave right from the beginning to Abraham that through, through Abraham's line would come the Savior of the world, the Messiah. So that the Jews kept meticulous records of the genealogies, meticulous because eventually they knew out of their line, especially out of the line of Judah, out of their line would come the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. So they cared, and in fact, they cared, it's interesting, they cared like massively about this pre-Jesus. Post-Jesus, this didn't become such a big priority. Which, I, I mean, just in and of itself, that you look at that, whether you believe in Jesus or not, just, some of, just that point alone is something to go curious as to why this was such an important thing to Jewish people. And we can see that Nehemiah just gets the wall built. His house is not even built, and he's pulling out the book of genealogies and recording the people that are in Jerusalem to record the genealogies for the next generation. This was that important to him. Then it says... In verse 6, these are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his city. Then verse 7, who came with Zerubbabel, you know, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, and he goes on and lists all these names. You can read them. I'm not going to butcher all these, these names, but you can read them there. What I, what I find amazing is 
in the genealogies and the rest of chapter 7, he starts listing off the names by family and the genealogies and, and who's all there. And at the end of chapter 7, you begin to see that there's over, or there's around 50,000 people that, that he records and that he knows that are with him and rebuilding this wall. That's, that's amazing. But what I find most fascinating in this is that Nehemiah, and I don't think that Nehemiah was aware, but of this fact when he recorded this, of course he wasn't aware. This is pre-Jesus. But the very first name that Nehemiah mentions is Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was, was the governor uh, of, of Jerusalem. He's the one that first kind of let out of the, uh, them out of the captivity. But Zerubbabel, interesting enough, is also a name actually listed in Matthew's genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, which is a direct line to Jesus. Nehemiah, when he's writing this, doesn't know whose name in here is going to be you know, direct lineage to the Messiah. The first name he mentions, I find that fascinating, the first name he mentions is a direct line to Jesus. The second name he mentions, which is fascinating, is, is, uh, is Jeshua, which is the prophet Zechariah prophesied over, the, over Jeshua and saying that this is going to be the name of the, of, of the Messiah, of the promised one. And, and that's fascinating. So here we see, in, just in chapter 7, or in, in verse 7, we see twice that the, that the promised Messiah that Jesus has mentioned and recorded there. That's so amazing. Look at this in, in Matthew, Zerubbabel's name. It comes up in Matthew 1, verse 12. It says, after the deportation of Babylon, right? This is Matthew's recording. This is right at the time, pointing back to the time of, of, of Nehemiah and that whole, this whole season. Jeconiah became the father of, of that guy, and, and that guy was the father of Zerubbabel. <laughs> right? So everything we see, this is the reason, this is so, so, so vital. Everything we see, everything they did, everything we do, there's no mistakes in all of this, and there's, there's no mistaking what, what our purpose is today, that everything we do must point to Jesus. Come on, the Old Testament is, is formed because, and, and, and we have it today because it points directly to Jesus, right? Everything we do today post the Messiah coming must still point to Jesus. When we're rebuilders of cities and restorers of homes, we do that not for ourselves. We do that for Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. It's all about him. It must always be about him. The reason why we do church, come on, the reason why we gather together is about Jesus. The reason why we rebuild our cities, restore our homes, we, we have this vision that we're supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus. It's all about, it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. And the reason why Nehemiah, we can't just, you know, look at, I, had tempted, I was tempted just to skip chapter 7. Because I was like, well, it's just, he's just listing a bunch of names. To Nehemiah and to the Jews, it wasn't just a bunch of names. To them, he was recording all of these names in incredible detail. That because he knew that one day, he didn't know when, and it ended up being hundreds and hundreds of years later, that one day one of these names would be direct line to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God in the flesh manifested, God dwelling among us, the Messiah, the promised one. It's all about Jesus. Look at in Acts chapter 4. Uh, Acts chapter 4, again, this is 
right after Jesus ascends and we see the story of Peter and the disciples first getting sent out and, and not very long after they're sent out to proclaim Jesus. You know, Peter and John, they went to the temple one day and there's a, uh, a lame man outside begging and they said, we don't have silver and gold, but what we do have is the name of Jesus and the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the man rises up and walks into the church with them and it caused no small disturbance because they, you know, everybody that in that church had seen that man outside, you know, the church day after day, week after week, year after year, they knew who he was. And here he comes walking in. And if he comes walking in, they're thinking either we've been duped all these years and all the money we've given to him, he's been lying the entire time, or something miraculous just happened. Either way, they were like, wait, it caused a great disturbance to such a degree that they arrested Peter and John and they you know, brought him before the same people that, that had condemned Jesus to death. They brought him before the same high priest, the same council, and they begin questioning Peter and John and threatening them and telling them, hey, you, can't, you have to stop preaching about this Jesus because it was making them look bad. And, and so we see, we'll pick it up um, in verse, uh, in chapter four, in verse, uh, where we got, uh, verse 10, or let's, let's go verse 9. It says, if we are on trial today for this benefit done to a sick man, this is Peter talking as to how this man has been made well. Then he says, verse 10, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified. I love Peter, whom you crucified. This is the same Peter, by the way, who only months before denied even being associated with Jesus to a servant girl, right? Suddenly, come on, suddenly he has this antagonistic boldness that he's standing before the very people who have the right to condemn him to death. The very people that, were, that condemned Jesus to death have the same right to do the same thing to him. Just at the snap of a finger, they would crucify him or kill him or stone him. He stands with a new level of boldness in front of people that have his life in his hands. And he says, hey, we did this, not of ourselves, but we did this be, by Jesus, by the name Jesus, whom you crucified. Points the finger at them and said, oh, by the way, you just killed the promised one. Like, that wasn't going go to go over well. I mean, Peter said that same thing in his first message in Acts chapter 2. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit and he says, Hey, Jesus, whom you crucified, he just couldn't stop proclaiming with this kind of boldness. I mean, the, the Holy Spirit does that to us, by the way. The Holy Spirit, one of his main, his main uh, attributes is he will give you incredible boldness. We can see that. But Peter stands up and says, we were able to heal this man, and you can see that he's healed by the name of Jesus. In other words, Peter's saying, it wasn't me. It wasn't my great powers, it's Jesus. It's all about Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. Um, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. And then look at this in verse 11. Peter says this. He is the stone which was rejected by you, he points at them again, the builders. Rejected by you, the builders, but which came became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. In other words, Peter's saying, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. 
But I, something jumped out at me. And I'm wondering if it jumped out at you as well, because we're talking about becoming rebuilders of cities, restorers of homes, and we're talking about this. This, this, is our, this is our call, and this is what from the Old Testament to the New Testament, this is what God has been setting inside of us. This is who we are. Come on, look at, did you notice that Peter looked at the Pharisees and said, hey, um, he's the stone which was rejected by you, okay, the builders. Peter called the Pharisees, who are the, the head of the, the temple, the church of the day, he calls them, and he, and he says this. This is not just a metaphor. He says to them, you're the builders. You're supposed to be the builders. And he's, and In other words, it was common knowledge to Peter, to Jewish society, to the Pharisees. This is not, you know, they weren't arguing whether or not they were the builders or not. It was common knowledge that the role of the priests of the church, the role of the church as a whole, is that they are supposed to be the builders. Come on. We can't miss this. The problem with them was that they were trying to build without the chief cornerstone, the main foundation piece. They were trying to build without it. And I'm wondering today, I'm wondering today if we as the church today, we've, we center on Jesus and we, we agree. And I don't think, you know, you might disagree with the fact that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. It's all about Jesus. I don't want you to miss that fact. Everything we do is about Jesus. It's not just about, it's not about the church. It's not about our name. It's not about, you know, our church. It's not about us individually. It's about Jesus. We need to get that. But at the same time, we need to understand, that's his identity. He's the chief cornerstone. At the same time, we need to understand our identity and that we're called to be builders. That that is common knowledge from the Old Testament and that that responsibility transferred from from the Jewish people, transferred from the, the, the Jewish temple, transferred, and Jesus came and did that. And we are called to be the ambassadors, Paul called us, the builders, of which we are to lay the foundation, the main foundation of our cities, of our communities, and the chief cornerstone of that foundation is Jesus. That's our role. Okay, come on. I'm just going to pause here for a second because I'm not sure we're all getting it yet. The main foundation piece, when you, when you build a, a building, it's only going to be able to be built as tall as the foundation can sustain it. It's only going to be able to be built as strong as the foundation is strong. Everybody knows this. Every builder knows this. If you have a faulty foundation, you can't build anything strong, high, tall, Anything that's going to last without a strong foundation. The foundation is everything. I need us to understand this. That we as the builders are the foundation builders of our community, of our country, of our cities, of our, of our world. That the foundation builders is supposed to be us, the church. And that when we build, the foundations in our, in our cities, in our communities, when we build... We must never forget that the chief cornerstone, that is the, the pivotal piece, the transitional piece, the, the pivotal anchor for the strength of that foundation, that that chief cornerstone is Jesus. Everything we build is not for us. It's not for religion. It's not for our name or our church's name. It's for Jesus. 
But at the same time, we're called to be the builders. That the strength of our communities is, is going to be only going to be as strong as the foundation that the church lays. Come on, that we're supposed to be the light of the world, that the, the brightness of our communities, how much our community shines bright is going to be dependent on how we shine the light. That the flavor of our cities, we're called to be the salt. The flavor of our cities is only going to be as, as good as the church is done. The, the strength of the building of the city is only going to be as strong as the foundation that the church does. We have a job, and it's time to take our job back. That we can't point the finger at our cities and saying, this is a big, bad, dark world. This is, this is a weak city. This is a, this is a, you know, we can't point the fingers at the governments, at our prime minister. We can't point the fingers at our mayors. We can't point the fingers at politicians. We can't point the fingers at anybody else in our cities. And say it's their fault that the strength of the city is, is about us. And the strength of us is about our cornerstone and how much weight we're able to put on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And we got to take our job back. Come on, we got we to realize that we have something to build in our city. We have something to build. It's our responsibility. And Peter looks at them and says, you understand your identity, that you're supposed to be the builders, but you missed the cornerstone. And I wonder, I wonder if we've missed the cornerstone and our responsibilities of being the builder. That's what this series is all about, is understanding who we are, what we are, what we're supposed to do. Re-anchor in Jesus and his kingdom, that he's the king of kings. He's not just a, a savior. He's Lord. He's not just a Messiah. He is king. That we need to understand who he is in order to understand who we are. The foundation that we build on, John, disciple of Jesus, would write years later, um, about this and the foundation that we're supposed to build in 1 John chapter 4. In fact, if you haven't read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, I didn't highly, highly encourage you to do that because he lays the foundation really, really strong for us. And, and I'm going to pick it up 1st John 4, verse 19, and it says this. This is the foundation that we're supposed to lay. We love, there it is again, Jesus said, the new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. John says we love, we can do that because he first loved us. It's all about him, and we can because he did. Right? So in other words, the strength of our foundation is going to be only as strong as the cornerstone. And if we understand that the cornerstone, that God is love, that we love, and we, that strength of that love is only as strong as the cornerstone is. That we love because... We build because the cornerstone is strong. We love because. And then he goes on and he says this. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. There, John's saying it. Hey, this is the commandment. This is, this is not the gentle suggestion. This is not the encouragement. This is a commandment from the king of kings. Right? This is the commandment that we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. 
And he says, you, you cannot say you love God and hate your brother. In other words, John's saying, you can't say it's just me and Jesus is all I need. Okay, come on, come on. Let me put this into perspective again it, 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 so that we get this. You cannot build a building just on the cornerstone alone. Right? That that's the anchor, that's the strength. But if you just have the cornerstone and nothing else, it's not much of a building. Right? Like, that's very small. And John is saying, hey, that he's the chief cornerstone. He's the one that we build on. He's the one we anchor in. We can, we can love, but we're supposed to express that. We're supposed to, we're supposed to build in our communities. We're supposed to express that and love others. That we can, we've taken it in. We have to. The obligation, the commandment is to then we have to give it out. We have to. And what John says is, he says, you can't say you love God. Just me and Jesus is all I need. That's not Christianity. It's not just a personal faith. Come on, it has to be expressed. We have to build. We have to build. We have to be the light. We, which means we have to be on top of the hill. We have to be in the world. We have to shine the light where it's dark. That's the obligation. That's the commandment. That's what we, that's what we have to do. But then he says, you can't say you love God and hate your brother. That word hate, and I've mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again in case you miss it. That word hate is, is a poor English translation. Because the word hate, when I say that I, I hate somebody, you can automatically you're, understand that I'm talking about I despise, you know, I hate something. You know, I hate the Green Bay Packers. Let me just, just put that out there. That means I despise, right? I despise. This word, that word, sorry, I, I had to get that in there. I, I was looking for examples, and immediately that just came. I was like, it's amazing. <laughs> but that word hate that, that John used wasn't despise. It actually means to show indifference to. That the original translation means to show indifference. There's a difference between despising and ignoring. There's a big difference. Indifference is ignoring, not acknowledging, not seeing. In other words, what John says, you can't say you're a Christian and love God and have a relationship with God and show indifference to your community and show indifference to your neighbors and show indifference to the, the, the people on the street and show indifference to your coworkers. You, you, you cannot say you love God and show indifference to the world. And church, we cannot say, we've done it for too long. We've kept Christianity inside the four walls where it's safe and neat and tidy and we've kept it inside, inside these four walls. And then as a church, we've shown indifference to our communities. I'm not just talking about, you know, that pointing fingers at other churches. I'm saying us. We cannot exist in a community and show indifference to that community. If we close the doors of our church, our community should be making the loudest uproar and, and showing the most sorrow because of, of the impact that we're having on the world. For the love, for love and impact. Come on, this is what this series is all about. It's, it's, all, about, it's all about our role, but it's always, and this is, the, this is what I want you to see and understand, is that when I'm talking about this, this way and preaching this way, 
I need us to remember again that we cannot build without the cornerstone. That we cannot build for parallel church's name. We cannot build for, for just the church's name. That we're, it's all about Jesus. And that's today's takeaway. Simply, it's just all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You know why we build? Because he built us. You know why we love? Because he first loved us. You know why we were, we're obligated to do this? To love, when Jesus said this, this commandment I give you, love one another. But then he said, as I have loved you. That's the hard part. Love one another? We can do that? As he loved? Oh. That's next level. So church, that's what I want to challenge you with is that we outlove, we outserve, we outgive. Because Jesus first outloved, outserved, outgave. We outlove, outserve, and outgive everyone because He laid that cornerstone and did that for us. Amen. And that's the foundation that we rebuild cities and restore homes on. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for. Your example, Jesus, how you showed that kind of love unconditionally to people that were undeserving. God, you loved Matthew, a, a cheater, a thief, a tax collector. You, you outloved society by loving Judas right up to his betrayal. And you would have after if he would have let you. God, you outloved all of society by going to the lepers, the outcasts, by going to the adulterous woman and loving her when no one else would, by befriending even prostitutes, zealots, Nicodemus, a Pharisee. God, Jesus, you showed unconditional love. You outserved by washing the feet of your disciples after they realized who you really were. You outgave. How could we ever give back what you have given to us? You sacrificed it all, you gave your own life. God, that foundation, that cornerstone, that kind of love, we want to build on. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. The wisdom to know what to do and the courage to be able to follow through. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Paul says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose again from the dead, you will be saved. So I want to run through a prayer that does exactly that, and it's not joining a religion, not joining a church. It's simply just a relationship with God. So I'd encourage you, close your eyes, bow your head, and repeat this prayer after me. So dear Jesus, I confess that you are God, and I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you now to become my Lord, to become my Savior, to become my friend. I thank you that my past is past and that I can begin anew with you today. My heart is yours. In Jesus' name, 
Amen, amen. So guys, if you prayed that prayer for the first time and accepted Jesus into your heart today, first off, congratulations on an amazing, amazing decision. We are so, so excited for you uh, and would love to help you out. So that's the second thing is there's a link that has been posted in the comment section. You can click on that link, fill out that form, We'd love to just be a part of your journey, love to help you out uh, any way that we can. So I'd encourage you to click on that link, uh, fill out that form, let us know that you accepted Jesus into your heart today, uh, and congratulations again.